Okay, Upper Room, this is Larissa Miller. This message is a continuation in a series that we're doing on the gospel and how it applies to your everyday life. Knowing Jesus as the Lamb of God, the Great High Priest, and the Bridegroom who's returning for His spotless bride. This particular message focuses on knowing Him as our Great High Priest and how He sanctifies us. I talk about God's commitment to us in this process, how he's forming the image of his son in us, and our job is to submit. God is committed. We are submitted. I hope it blesses you. I love you. We've been watching The Chosen with our kids. We just, I don't know if you guys have seen it. Have you seen it? I just watched the uh, episode where Jesus is talking with Nicodemus, and he says, unless you're born again, you can't see or receive the kingdom. I love what we've been talking about the last few weeks because it never gets old. (laughs) That, like, you... Most of you in this room have been born again, and you are a new creation. You are something different than you were before. You had to be crucified with Christ and be born again. And now you're in between this place of being born again and then the day when you will see him face to face and be like him. It says in 1 John that, that, that we don't know yet what we will be, but when we see him, we'll get it. <laughs> oh, that's who I am. And somehow between here and here is where we are. And, and some of you are just, are just right here. And some of you today are about to enter into the born again. And some of us are just right here. And there's others of us that are down here. And then there's others of us that are down here a lot closer, looking a lot more like him than I do. And so I want to... I want to talk to you about living in this, in this tension between the, the born again, the done, as Michael said, and then the, the do, and then the done. And we can talk about it in so many different ways, and we will because it's helpful. P- I loved Peter's chart where he talked about the Lamb of God and our salvation, the high priest, our sanctification, and the bridegroom judge, our glorification, and how we are relating to him in all these different ways. But you see, you never graduate from the lamb. You never, you never, oh, I got that. You, you're always returning back to, wow, the perfect lamb slain for me. 
And the reality of it grows in you over time. It just gets bigger and bigger. The lamb. Oh, the lamb. Oh, the lamb. You're not in a, you're in a process of graduation. You're in a, in a, a whole lifelong journey of revelation. Who is this God that became man? Who is he? I, I want to use one of my favorite psalms. See, I can do this because I've got a mic and I can, again, put my favorite psalm up here and talk to you about where you are as a new creation and how my hope today is to give you some, you know me, practical tools to dealing with the gaps between what what he said about you as a new creation and sometimes what you're seeing doesn't look like one or feel like one and what you are becoming and who you will see face to face. Are you following me? Here's the thing. So we're going to talk about that, that middle section about, about relating to him as your great high priest about sanctification. It's a big theological word. Here's what I want you to walk away with. God is committed to you and what he's working out in you and what you will become. He has already committed to it. He ain't changed his mind. He's not going anywhere. He's committed. Your job is to be submitted. This is the way that you co-labor with him. He's committed. You're submitted. Can you say that with me? Say, he's committed. I'm submitted. All right, so look at Psalm 84. Can you put that up for me, Art? If you have your Bibles, please go to Psalm 84. I woke up with that phrase going through my head. God, you're committed. I'm submitted. When you're a new creation, you, submission is your new nature. You love to submit to him. Why wouldn't you? He's loving, perfect, amazing, available, giving you everything you need that pertains to life and godliness. All right. Psalm 84. How lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on, come on, what is your heart set on? Pilgrimage, it's set on, what does it say there? On a highway. Blessed, yeah, okay, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at the NKJV if you want to change it, but. Uh, as they pass through the valley of Baca, Baca means weeping. As you pass through a valley of weeping, 
They make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. Listen to me. Listen to me. Blessed are those who dwell in his house. The day you said, yes, Jesus, you have my life. Come inhabit my life is the day that you were born into the house of God. You were born into the family of God. God said, and he put a spirit inside of you that said, Abba, Father. And you may have been as tiny as little Enzo over there crying out, Abba, Abba, and that's all you could do. And then you begin to grow. Here's the thing that you're going to have to remember today as I talk to you, because it's gonna, religion and the law will make you forget that you're never out of this house. That no matter how you stumble as you're figuring out your way, you are always in this house. That that thing, your new name, your new family line, your new, you know, you got a new last name. It's not ever changing. And so no matter if you stumble big or little, as you're being sanctified along the way, you're in the house. You are a son. You're a daughter. As Michael said, you're back in the chair. Every day, every moment, back in the chair. Where the enemy gets you is you start to think that you don't belong anymore. You start to think, well, I'll just eat the pig slop. No, no, no. You're in the house. Okay? You're in the house. But once you're in the house, you begin a journey of becoming what you already are. Okay? Like, when I was knit together in my mother's womb, God put ovaries inside of me. And so I had the capacity to be a mother inside of me. Yes? Like, that was in me from the moment that I was born, the capacity to be a mother. But being a mother is a journey that I am on. Are you with me? It's not a perfect metaphor. No metaphor is, okay? But you are, you are becoming what you already are. <laughs> This is the mystery of sanctification, is that you've become something and you are becoming something. That he has saved you, you are being saved and you will be saved. And you and I are having to figure out what does it mean as I'm walking this imperfect earth with imperfect people, what does it mean that I'm becoming the very image of Christ, even though I already became that? This is the mystery that we're walking out. I am not going to be able to fully explain that to you today because it is a mystery, all right? But I want you to just look at Psalm 84 as sort of a helpful visual that here's the ones that, are, that dwell in his house and they go from strength to strength. They might go through a valley. But these are the ones who, when they go through a valley, they go through a hard spot. 
but because of who they know, because of who they're walking with, because of where they come from and where they're going, they make the valley something different. So that the next time someone they know walks through a valley, they say, oh, no, no, look, 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 look. This is where he says, you know, the comfort that you've received, that you'll comfort others with that same comfort. This is where you bring them to the valley and you say, oh, look, I found a place of refreshment here. You go from strength to strength. Your heart has set on pilgrimage. Pilgrimage from what? From the fact that you have become, been made a new creation and one day you will see him and become like him. This is all over the Bible, right? Everything is from Christ, through Christ, and unto Christ. He is all in all. And he's found here, and he's found in the becoming. As the Spirit of God makes known to you the deep things of God that Christ purchased on your behalf, your inheritance... As he reveals that to you, and then one day you see him. Look back at this psalm. Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. I want you to think about having a growth mindset. I want you to think about not having arrived, but always walking towards seeing him. That as you pass through a valley of weeping, you make it a spring. The rain covers it with pools. They go, look at this. They go from strength to strength until what? Each one appears before him. You see, you're in this place between being born again and his return and you are meant to live understanding this side which is the free gift of grace and your blessed hope which is his return and those two realities form something inside of you you living with the mindset that I'm in the house and he's coming back. This is what forms Christ in you. These two tensions. Are you following me? So here's what I want to talk about today. And I'm going to try to not trigger you. <laughs> <laughs> Paul said that he labored until what? Until Christ was fully formed in you. Until you look like, act like the man Jesus. He was laboring unto that end. And I want that. Amen? All right. So remember this. You're his kids. You're here today because you want to please him. Amen? You want to walk with him. You want to know him. You want to love him. You want to receive from him. Because what I'm about to say can trigger you into thinking like the law wants you to think. But that's not the point of what I'm going to say today. Okay? You're in the house. 
All right? You are not earning something. You are discovering who he made you to be and what he's like. So I want to talk to you about discipline. See? (laughs) I told you. God is committed. We are submitted. You want to submit to God. If you don't want to submit to God, then you want to want to submit to God. Right? You want to want to. Otherwise, you wouldn't be here. That covers most of us. If you don't want to be submitted to God, you would like to want to be submitted to God. Okay? This is a good sign. This is the Spirit of God inside of you crying out, Abba, Father. All right. I want you now to think about, we're about to jump into Hebrews 12, which is like the quintessential discipline chapter, but I want you to be thinking about discipline in a new way. I want you to think about this word. Ready? Say training. Say educating. Instructing. All right. Discipline has a very negative connotation in our minds. Okay, And the church in some places has done a really poor job talking about discipline, like when, when Peter Silver gets cancer, that God must be disciplining him. That's not true. Jesus came that we would have life and life abundant, and then enemy comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. All right? Jesus never gave anyone cancer. Right? Okay. So you, I, I, I don't know where you are or how you were raised, but you've got to get out of your head when I'm talking about discipline that it's things like that. It's not when bad things happen to good people. It's not the car wreck or the losing the child or the whatever. Okay? When I talk about discipline, I want you to think about a good father training his children. I want you to think about how Michael and I would never try to train Freeland in obedience by inflicting him with a disease. Okay? We would be put in prison. Right? That's child abuse. God's not an abuser. All right. So... Say it with me again. Discipline is training. Now, if you resist the voice of God, the leadership of God, if you are defiant and rebellious, your actions could have consequences that he does not want to see happen in your life. He's wanting you to submit to his little little corrections day after day being transformed into the image of his son. Okay? Are you with me? Okay. I'll give you some examples in a minute so you can understand what I'm talking about. But turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Say, God is committed. I am submitted. All right. 
Hebrews chapter 11 is the hall of faith, right? And then Art, you can start with 12 because we know that there's a therefore. So I had to tell you what it was there for. <clears throat> therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, which are all the ones that he's talking about previously, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking unto the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Keep going. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. Strong word. <clears throat> Keep going. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. I want you to get this. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? This is where God's committed and we are, right? He's perfect. The way that the Lord primarily disciplines you is through his voice. Remember, let's use a different word. The primary way God trains you is through his voice. If you are a lover of Jesus and a follower of God, this does not have to be brutal. This does not have to be scourging. This, has, this looks like a precious leaning. It looks like a daily moment coming to your high priest, knowing that, again, one, where are you? You're in the? You are in the? house. You're his beloved son or daughter, and he has things to say to you, to reveal to you what Christ has purchased on your behalf. So it looks like every day, your daily bread, you're sitting going, Father, thank you that I'm in your house. Thank you that you've made me a new creation. Thank you that the seat that you're sitting on is the mercy seat. Thank you 
that everything I feel today, yesterday, today, and later today, and tomorrow, you're familiar with. There's nothing that I'm facing, feeling, or thinking that you're not familiar with. Thank you, Jesus, that you became a man, that you had skin on, that you know what it was like to be tired, to be hungry. Thank you that you said I can come to this throne of what? Grace and find what? Mercy, help in my time of need. This is what sanctification looks like. It just looks like coming to him and letting him say whatever he wants to you. And you saying, yes, okay. I cannot, listen, here's something that he's sanctifying in me. Is that, you know what, he told me one time when I was sitting with him, this is what he does. I'm going to give you practicals, ready? He said, I'm just sitting with him. I'm reading my Bible. You should do that every day. I'm sitting with him. And he says, I'm going to make you an exceptional mother. You are going to be an extraordinary mother. And I'm like, you're crazy. (laughs) That is a long shot, Lord. And he said, I know. (laughs) he says those kinds of things to you and see his words are spirit and their life so what they do is they get deposited inside of you and then like he spoke the universe into being when he says something to you it begins to expand and create and expand and create the very thing that he said. So I'm being transformed into the image of Jesus as he would be as a mother. Am I there yet? No, but what do I keep doing? I come back to the house and I'm having to walk out Sometimes in very awkward, uncomfortable ways, the manifestation of becoming who he said that I am. So sometimes, oftentimes, sanctification gets most played out in your relationships. Like, it's the people around you. You don't know you're impatient until you have a person around you. Or or your dog, for that matter. You don't know that you're, you know, love is not easily angered. You don't know that you're easily angered until you have a roommate who angers you easily. It's the people, it's the people in our lives that expose the lack of Christ's likeness in us. And so the way that we walk it out is we walk it out in humility, repentance, and forgiveness. Ready? Humility repentance and forgiveness. Listen, I do not expect my three-year-old to, to never have a temper tantrum. I know he's three. He has temper tantrums. God is not looking down at me going, she better get this right today. She better get it right today. He's like, I'm here with you. I'm right here with you. And when I mess up, I, 
I go to them and I say, I'm so sorry I snapped at you. I'm so sorry I was impatient with you. I'm so sorry I didn't listen to you. And then I go to him and I say, God, I'm, I'm so sorry I didn't manifest you. And what it does is the crazy thing about my weakness and the gaps in my life is that because I know I'm his beloved daughter and that he's loving me and equipping me and constantly washing me, even my weakness draws me closer to him. That even my failures are the thing that draws us so close because then I'm a recipient of his mercy over and over and over again. And I'm like, oh God, you're so kind. You're so unbelievably merciful and gracious, so near. And so literally what the enemy meant for harm, he's turning for my good. This is how we go, guys, from being in the house, having a heart set on pilgrimage. I know that in a year from now, I'm looking more like Christ in actuality, like in the actual manifestation of my life. Like my family will know, wow, mom is more patient, more tender, more kind, more whatever than she was a year ago. I know that one day I'm going to see him face to face and I'll have looked more like him on this journey. And I know that he's pleased with me here, 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 and here. But I adore him. I love him. So I want to be close to him. And when I act out in my flesh, I'm not like him, and it grieves him. It grieves his spirit. Does he love me? Am I his daughter? Am I in his house? Absolutely. It's never a question. Oh, but he doesn't want me to hurt someone. You see, when you're walking with him, you never want to grieve him. It's not about towing a line to get it right or wrong. It's about... Oh, I hurt someone with my words. And he would never hurt anyone with his words. He would never bruise someone with his words. And so because we're close, I know when I'm grieving him. And it's the, the work of the Holy Spirit to work out with fear and trembling, the reality of my salvation. This is what sanctification looks like. It looks like a walk. It looks like a pilgrimage. It looks like a race. It looks like endurance. And I think sometimes in charismatic cultures, we just want the end suddenly. But listen, like the greatest testimony of Christ will be your character, will be Christ formed in you, that you look like him when you shouldn't, that you're doing things that Christ would do that make no sense to the carnal mind. And it's not an end suddenly. It's an every day. It's a washing. And sometimes it feels like a painful chipping. <laughs> it doesn't always feel like a bath at the spa. You know, it doesn't always feel like a gentle exfoliator. 
sometimes it feels like sandpaper. <laughs> but clearly there are times when that's what's needed. Look at, let's go back to Hebrews 12. Oh, verse 10. It's talking about our earthly fathers. For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them. But he for our profit, look at this, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Keep going. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present. But what? Painful. Ah! <laughs> Nevertheless, look, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. It's not pleasant. I just want to remind you that if there's something in your world, if there's a relational rub or there's a situation at work or whatever, if you're going through something unpleasant, I just want to remind you, no one ever said it would be pleasant. Hard doesn't mean bad. Now, some hard things came straight, straight from the pit of hell. I think even those things... As you look to Christ, he can use them. Did he author them? No. But can he use them? Yes. But I'm not going to talk on that today. I just want to remind you, sometimes I begin to think, like, what am I doing wrong? This is so hard. This, this process, this me becoming this feels like, oh, unpleasant. And he's like, uh-huh. You're dying. <laughs> You're dying. Your flesh is dying. You're picking up a cross and you're carrying it and it feels heavy and uncomfortable. And it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong except that you're dying. And we just hate dying. But you're becoming something. You're becoming someone. And you were meant to live in the reality of like this free gift of salvation that was purchased for you and the reality that he's coming back and he's looking for ones who when he comes back will be at their master's work will be doing the thing that he told them to be doing like uh, we're somehow having to live in the tension of this like this crazy free gift and the reality that like there is a fear of the lord that that he said there would be people that when he comes back they won't be ready We're living in that tension. I said that his discipline, his training, remember, God is committed, we are submitted. It comes through his voice. I want you to look at this, this quote. Do you have that quote? This is from a book by Graham Cook. Uh, <clears throat> He says, every day, 
The Holy Spirit is trying to bring us into cooperation with the Father. He has a series of adjustments he wants to make in our lives because he loves us. Unfortunately, there are times when those adjustments go unnoticed. We ignore them, but they don't go away. Many times we just wait the will of God out rather than change. Discipline that is not adhered to doesn't go away. It accumulates. It grows to a point where God has to chastise us. We can ignore discipline, but it will not ignore us. Listen, most of you are going to be tenderly responding to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. There are people, and I've been in rooms where I've had to sit with them, who didn't respond to the Lord's voice in moments of grace, even days like today, where he was whispering, hey, you need to confess that so it doesn't leave with you. You need to cut off that relationship. You need to come clean about this. You need to ask for help. And they sat with it, and they sat with it, and they hardened their hearts. They were afraid, or they were ashamed, and they hardened their hearts. And you know what happens? Their life blows up. And I've been in more rooms than I would like to be in, where I watch someone's life blow up. Because they've been in settings like this, and their heart got hard. That when we're, that when we're taking communion, they somehow, they somehow, they could even be leading communion. And they could somehow drink it and say, Father, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And they, and they, they didn't get it. They didn't receive the mercy of God. And then the bottom fell out. That's not most of you in the room, but for whoever it applies to, I'm begging you today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. If you have a problem, if you have a sin habit, don't stay quiet about it. So there were just three keys I wanted to give you about actively submitting to God, right? Because he did something for us, but we have this co-laboring element, right? He's committed, we're submitted. So there's some things that he said to us that we do to actively receive and appropriate his mercies and in his inheritance into our lives. One is that you don't forsake meeting together. You, if you're only watching church at home and you're not communing with believers, if you have a group that meets at your home, great. But if you have no place where you're communing with believers in a vulnerable, active way, that's a problem. That's a recipe for things to happen. I've seen it too many times. Being a part of a church body with church authority and government is very important and biblical, okay? 
That's one. The second one is having a daily time where you're connecting with the Lord in his word and in communion, where you have a daily time where your heart is softened toward the Lord, where he can say anything to you. For me, it looks like, um, it, it looks like one time I'm, I'm sitting there with the Lord in the morning and, and I can just feel something feels a little bit off for me in that place. And I hear him whisper to me, hey, you're bitter. You have a bitter root. I'm like, oh, I don't want to have a bitter root. And he put his finger on the exact scenario, relationship, where I got offended and hurt. Instead of forgiving and softening, I hardened and got bitter. I surrendered my bitterness. I asked him to forgive me. I forgave the person that offended me. And that very day, the person contacted me and we were reconciled. I hadn't heard from him in months. But see, something broke open in the spirit when I gave up the bitter root and released forgiveness. Okay, so it looks like a daily place where just you and the Lord, where he can say anything, and you're like, yes. If you're saying it, then you're empowering it. If you're saying it, then you're gonna equip me. When it feels impossible to forgive, if you're inviting me into it, I know you will source me to do that thing. All right, so don't forsake meeting together. Have a daily time where your heart is softened to the Lord. The third thing is be in regular confession and repentance. Regular confession and repentance. I feel like this is something that our culture as a whole, like at Upper Room, we need an increase of confession and repentance. He says, walk in the light so that you can have fellowship with each other and with him. That if, and so you're constantly opening your life up to other people that are walking with him. James says, confess your sins one to another so that you may be healed. You need to have people that you regularly can tell, hey, I need to confess this. I need to confess that this is a struggle for me. And you're regularly repenting both to the Lord and to people. I'm sorry. Just make I'm sorry just a regular part of your vocabulary. I'm sorry. Lord, I'm sorry. Kevin, I'm sorry. Michael, I'm sorry. <laughs> Please forgive me. And you're in a regular place of that. This is a heart of humility, a heart that says, I'm on a journey. I'm figuring it out. I'm getting it wrong. And I'm in need of mercy. 